72% of entrepreneurs are struggling with mental health. Most don't ask for help. Today is the day we change that. Today is the day we prioritize and destigmatize mental health. We are entrepreneurs, visionaries, high achievers, change makers. We defy the odds every single day. We dream the biggest dreams. We fail and fall flat on our faces. We get up and try harder. We believe in our ideas even when everyone around us doubts them. We are driven to find the solutions to the world's biggest problems. We speak because our voice matters. We show up because we make a difference. We share our most vulnerable stories because we know someone can finally find the courage to share theirs. And in our collective sharing, we rise, we heal, and we embody brave visibility. In this episode, we spoke with sobriety and addiction expert, Caitlin Paget. She's the author of Redefining Sobriety. We explored the importance of locating the root of needing to drink at business events and meetups and how most people drink out of obligation or to fit in. Using substances has become the socially acceptable way to deal with anxiety and depression. We talk about how you can reframe what sobriety means to you and how you can give yourself permission to take breaks from alcohol to transform your relationship with yourself. Hey everyone, welcome to the Brave Visibility Podcast. Today, Yasmin and I are super excited to have an amazing guest, Caitlin Paget. Um, Caitlin is someone who I was very blessed with meeting uh, recently in Tulum. Um, we had known each other online for a while, but it was so incredible to be able to meet her in person and be able to hear her story. And her story has really turned into her business. Um, and she's been able to serve so many people um, who are going through so much things in their lives. Um, and so, so, hey, Caitlin, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Thank you both for having me. Um, we're so yeah. happy to have you. Yeah, we're Thank so you. happy to, that you've decided to come here. I know it's early where you are, so I'm so so excited you, you've taken the time to be on here with us. Um, so yeah, so um, one of the things that I would love to ask you, um, because you do have a business, which is all about redefining sobriety. And I know in, especially in business, when there's networking events and things like that, oftentimes they're often uh, surrounded by alcohol. It's always like, let's go to the cocktail party type of thing. And, you know, by the end of the night, every single person has had four or five drinks and like everybody's like, I'm like, how is this even networking anymore? <laughs> you know, at this point, <laughs> so, there's a lot of events and things that you in, like are surrounded by alcohol. And I don't think they put into consideration that some people may be struggling with mm. alcohol or maybe having some anxiety problems because b businesses can be very high stress. Um, so, so what are your thoughts on like things that, that as business owners, how we could kind of shift and kind of, kind of consider, I guess, other people are going through certain things. Um, because I know when I host events, I don't want people to feel like they're being pressured in any way, um, to drink. Um, so what are your thoughts on this in the, in the industry as a whole? 
Well, that's such a good question and a thoughtful one. Thank you for asking it because I agree. I think there's just such a status quo when it comes to how we do certain things, right? We don't even think about it. We don't think about the sort of formula for a networking event and um, and what might be available for guests who, who, for whatever reason, and that's something that I think I really want to emphasize is there's so many different reasons why somebody might not want to drink alcohol or not want to drink as much alcohol. And so I think it's so important too that we go away from this perspective that that I would only be abstaining or not wanting to drink alcohol for because I either have a problem with alcohol or because um, maybe some serious health issue. Like I think it's really important that we embrace a shift in consciousness that just lots of people are choosing to drink or not drink as much for uh, many different reasons. So that in and of itself, the fact that you both invited me onto this podcast and want to talk about this is huge. I think this is a conversation that is an interesting one to have around why do we drink as much as we do as entrepreneurs? And, um, you know, it's not just our industry, but whenever we're in situations that are sort of a higher stress situation, you know, even asking ourselves that question, how often, like, am, am I, is the first thing I do when I get into one of these events, do I beeline for the bar or do I like, okay, who's passing out drinks? All right. I'm going to go grab that one and stand in my corner and like slug this one back before I feel comfortable talking to somebody else. So having the conversation, I think is a really important place to start. Obviously, for me, I love it when I go to an event and there's options that are not tap water. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that I like when I when I see that somebody's taking the care to really think, even if it's just a nice sparkling water with lime or something. You know, it doesn't have to be fancy. I'm not expecting mocktails, you know, on a tray, but something that shows that you know we've taken a variety of different people into consideration and as we're hosting this event and that those like if there are drinks being passed out by waiters on trays and things like that that those drinks are also included in what's being passed around because quite often it's only like you know you'll have your champagne or your wine or whatever uh, and you kind of have to go find the bartender or whoever is in the kitchen to sort of ask you, uh, ask them to give you a different option. So I think making other options available and just having that be part of the norm as well. And I honestly would love to see it go even a step farther of like, you know, even acknowledging the fact that, that, that this alcohol culture exists and being like doing other kinds of events for networking mm -hmm. events, you know, that aren't necessarily always the cocktail event. Um, cause that again, seems to be the standard thing. And it's also, you know, the VIP upgrade <laughs> often is, you know, go to the cocktail thing. Um, so, you know, what if we started playing around with other ideas and other ways of connecting that aren't necessarily alcohol focused? Yeah. And that's really interesting that you're saying, you know, like that, you know, you're a person that you're like, oh, you're like, I don't necessarily want to have a drink and you have to go chase down the bartender yes. just to like find an option for yourself. And it's something I never really thought of. I mean, I don't really drink very much anyway. Um, I'm just so tiny. Um, like <laughs> having drinks like doesn't do very well um, with me, like one or two. And I'm basically like, I cannot possibly do any more than that. And uh, for myself, I always end up just have bringing a water bottle with me everywhere I go because I just assume that there isn't even any other options for me. Um, mm. But um, I do go to a lot of different networking events. Like I go to like, oh, like a, an all women's entrepreneur event. And there there are, there's wine being passed around everywhere. And everyone's like, oh, would you like some wine? Would you like some wine? I'm like, um, I would like some green juice, <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, 
Um, so, so yeah, it is, it is really interesting that everything's kind of evolved around that, but I think something cool that you were talking about, um, or I guess just, yeah, was like about like the people standing in the corner and then like having to drink the drink first before they can even approach other people. Um, so I think this is a really interesting thing because it's partly like, is this social anxiety? It's partly is there an actual problem if they're needing to do that before they can actually speak to a person? Um, I know for myself, because I used to tour a lot with bands, um, there were a lot of uh, people in bands who had so much stage fright that they had to like chug like three beers before they could get onto the stage. Um, So what are your thoughts um, for people if like, is is needing to have that drink is that a sign that there could potentially be some sort of addiction starting or um some sort of anxiety that maybe they need to have checked out i love that question and i think these are the kinds of questions again that are so important to talk about because um i mean the answer would be yes or no and maybe (laughs) and that's why it's so important to talk about it because i i do think that that is a sign of a certain dependence, but that dependence could be an emotional dependence, uh, you know, a psychological dependence on the substance. And it's something that's learned. And again, this is, you know, we learn from the time we're young or we're in high school, we're in parties, whatever. It's like you drink to feel comfortable, you drink to open up. And so for so many of us, this is something that we, we learn and that is really in a lot of ways, socially, a socially acceptable way to deal with those nerves, to deal with that anxiety, that stage fright, whether it be getting up on a stage, whether it you know, be the stage fright of just approaching a stranger or somebody that you admire um, at a party or in an event. And so this is why I really developed the approach that I did around redefining sobriety is because it's not so cut and dry mm-hmm. and we use alcohol for different reasons. And just because we use alcohol or even feel dependent, whether we want to use that word or not, on alcohol in certain situations does not mean that we have an addiction per se. Mm-hmm. However, it might mean that we are using alcohol in a way that that could be problematic. And I really do feel that in any situation, if we feel absolutely like we need something, you know, to get through that, that um, emotion, that emotional experience that we're having, then it's worth asking ourselves the question, what is that about? And are there alternatives? Now, if then a person explores all of the alternatives, and I'd love to talk more about the alternatives too, but if somebody explores all the alternatives, really tries to get support, really says, okay, you know what, I'm going to do these networking things, these social events without alcohol, and tries repeatedly with a variety of different strategies and supports, and still is having a really hard time not drinking, mm-hmm. then I would say that that might be when you want to go and seek out additional support specifically around sub, you know, alcohol or substance use counseling. Um, but there's so many other ways, as you both know, that we can build confidence in ourselves, that we can reduce our anxiety, that we can um, make those, start to learn how to make those connections without needing to be tipsy first. And we just often don't even know how to try those things because the conversation isn't happening because we're just used to this way of interacting because everybody around us is, we feel like it's not, everybody isn't doing it, but we feel like everybody else is. So we don't even know how to look for those alternatives of what else could I do how, how could I prepare for this event differently so that I am feeling more centered or grounded in myself so I'm feeling stronger? Or maybe it's just about acknowledging that this is awkward. That's what I started doing, <laughs> you know? 
I went from being somebody that seemed like she was like the star of the show all the time with networking uh, in my former career, always, you know, talking to everyone to going through what felt like for me a really uncomfortable, like almost painfully uncomfortable, awkward phase for a while. And then I found just talking about it really helped and being like, wow, I actually find these events sometimes really challenging. And sometimes I feel at a loss for words or what to say. And just saying that even sometimes to the person standing next to you is like, it helps um, take the charge out of it. You know, it, it normalizes. Nobody's going to run away from you if you say that to them. They're actually probably more likely to be like, I totally know what you mean. You know? Yeah. Um, so that's such a good I question. love that. This is such a powerful conversation. I'm really enjoying it. And like, as I get to know you and, you know, your mission, you know, when I first read like your application that you sent to us, I, I was like, wow, this is really an important topic. You know, the fact that you have written a book, you know, I would love to talk a little bit about that. Um, it's called Drink Less, Be More, right? How to have a great night and life without getting wasted. And I love that, especially because I was an RA when I was in college and as a resident assistant, you know, of a freshman uh, hall, I had a lot of students um, who pretty much every weekend would get wasted. And that was, that. that's the college culture too. And like when you were talking about this and when I see the title of your book, it just reminds me of that and how much I would have appreciated having that kind of a guide to um, to have, you know, with with those students at the time. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit about that as well as your, you know, your business, like redefining sobriety since you're the founder of that. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do, what kind of work you do, and just kind of deep dive deeper into those for us? Sure. So with my book, it really did evolve from you know, a similar kind of experience. I was somebody who grew up around a lot of drinking um, in my social, like once I hit my early teens, uh, it definitely continued through my 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 20s. I was in a, a really fast paced and stressful international career. Uh, so I traveled a lot for work. I was doing a lot of really incredible, incredible kind of like advocacy and activism work, but alcohol also was very much a part of, of everything that we did. Then I lived as an expat. And for those of you listening who have lived as expats in the expat culture, a lot of times when you're living in a different country is a lot centered around alcohol as well. So it was a really big part of my life. And um, I basically wrote the book that I wish that I could have found when I was trying to get support, when I realized that my drinking was problematic, um, which was easy to ignore for a long time because I had also used other drugs. Um, I had other stuff going on in my life. And because alcohol is acceptable, really, more so than illicit drugs are, um, it was like always kind of like the illicit drugs were the bad thing. But then I realized that I got rid of, you know, I wasn't using as many drugs. I was, you know, making some other changes in my life and trying to generally be a healthier person. And yet alcohol was so pervasive and it was so difficult for me to really shift my relationship to alcohol. And part of that was because I still like, I'm fairly extroverted. I wanted to still, I love to dance. Like I, I, it was important for me to feel like I didn't have to give up all of these other things that actually were good things for me. Yeah. And so 
that's really where the idea for, for the book came from because I was searching for alternatives and couldn't find them. And um, I couldn't find them online. I knew that I knew intuitively that I wasn't an alcoholic. I wasn't somebody who necessarily needed to give up alcohol for the rest of her life. But I also knew that at that point, it, it was at the end of the 20s, that I had a, a pretty serious problem that I needed support with. Um, and, and then from there, redefining sobriety. So I wrote the book first and, and actually had the idea to write the book before I even became a coach and started coaching wow. around this topic. Although I, I, I ended up writing the book a few years into my work, coaching women around this topic as well. Um, and I'm glad that I did because I was able to draw from other people's experiences, not just my own. And then read the concept around redefining sobriety really then evolved from that as well, because I wrote the book for, for, for a person like quote unquote, like me, which is kind of like a party girl who like work hard, mm -hmm. play hard, go hard, live, you know, live, live to the fullest, want to be in the middle of everything. Um, and so I wrote, and that's why the, the title, the subtitle of the book is um, how to have a great night and life without getting wasted. Cause it's really focused on that person who still wants to go out who still wants to have fun. Um, and, and, and as my work continued and evolved, there's obviously a lot of, of different kinds of people who use alcohol for different reasons. Mm -hmm. And so there might be the person who doesn't ever drink in social situations, who really always wants to be in control when in public, but when in private every night, that's how they, um, that's how they unwind from the day or create a separation from the day or, or unload their feeling of responsibility, you know, check out in the nighttime. And so they're drinking wine at home every night. And that's what has become problematic or what the relationship that they want to shift. So really redefining sobriety is this kind of umbrella for basically anybody who wants to redefine their relationship to alcohol and or other drugs and wants to do it on their own terms and is really interesting in, in exploring the relationship. So for me, that's what redefining is all about is it's really understanding the relationship that we have to these substances and, um, and then getting to define for ourselves what that means for us. So I've gone through long periods of sobriety where I don't drink anything. Um, I now drink in moderation, but I'm my, my, my sobriety, which basically means not being intoxicated, not crossing that line, not getting tipsy, not getting, um, getting drunk. Um, that's really, really important to me. So for me, my own sobriety is always that like connection to my center that I've now found. I used to want to lose myself. I used to drink to, mm -hmm. to lose myself. Now I start to have that feeling and I'm like, Oh, okay, wait, no, I'm, I'm good right here. You know? And yeah. that's been a really interesting shift for me. And I was actually, you know, this, this, of course, this podcast is perfect timing because I had a really uh, kind of stressful and more anxiety-filled few days than I've had for quite a while um, to do with some cha health challenges that I have. And I got some test results back yesterday and I was on the phone with a friend literally saying, I want to I drink right now. And I hadn't had that feeling of like, quote unquote, needing a drink to like not have the experience, the emotional experience that I was in. And I was on the phone with him and it helped so much just to be able to acknowledge it. And he said, well, are you yeah. going to get a drink? And I said, no. And he said, do you have alcohol in your house? And I said, well, I do actually, but I'm not, it was leftover from a fundraiser and it's not mine. I'm not going to drink it. And he's like, well, you could. And it's funny. He was almost like testing me. He's like, well, you could go down the street and buy a bottle of wine. And I said, I'm not going to do that. And just affirming affirming to myself more than anything out loud that one of my rules that I have for myself is to never drink when I feel like I need one. Mm 
So last night I felt like I needed a drink. So it was definitely not a night to have one, um, to not drink when I'm feeling sad, you know, stressed, anxious, lonely, mm-hmm. overwhelmed, you know, the, I have my, and this, but this has been my own process where I've really come up with my own terms. And mm-hmm. so what I do with my clients and my community is that we support everyone to come up with their own terms, with their own definition of what sobriety means for them. And it's so empowering. It's mm-hmm. so empowering when you realize like, I get to decide, I actually get to choose how this, 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 this relationship looks, what it means to mm-hmm. me when it's there, when it's not there, when it's good for me, when it's not, you yeah. know, and, um, and, and that's what excites me about creating, um, continues to, you know, I'm five years into this, continues mm-hmm. to excite me around supporting people and just seeing how, how they feel when they're actually, um, yeah, empowered, I guess is the word to like, to feel like they actually can have control over this, that they can make their own decisions around this. It's not always easy. It actually takes a lot of work sometimes. I think uh, doing this path is not so cut and dry. Um, it's not inside the box. You're really figuring it. There's no one size fits all. So you really are figuring it out for yourself. Um, but you're doing that with this loving, supportive community who's cheering for you and saying, we believe in you and you deserve this. You know, you deserve to get to decide what is the best choice for you and your health and your mental health and your, you know, your physical health, your spiritual, emotional health. And we're going to love you through that no matter what. Wow. It's so, oh, it's so incredible. Just like all of this. And I had a very similar experience. Actually, on my own birthday party, I had made the decision to not drink that night. Um, I had had kind of a a, a little bit of a traumatic experience with my ex-boyfriend earlier that day. And I knew that if I was going to drink that night, I probably wouldn't be in a very happy mood. I probably would have ended up being at my birthday very sad and very upset and you know, all these things, because for me, alcohol kind of enhances whatever I might be feeling inside. So I was just like, you know, like, I don't want to do that. I have all these people. I mean, people were like driving for like, you know, four hours to come to my party and stuff. So I was just like, I'm not going to drink. I'm just going to be, you know, completely sober tonight. And so I had, um, they had ginger beers, which are so good. I love like everything gingery. So I just drank that instead. And, um, you know, I, I think it, it takes like, I, I know my relationship with alcohol because like I said, I used to tour with bands. Drinking alcohol was like just completely normal. Like you'd go to a venue and they're like, oh, hers vouchers to just get as many drinks that you want, you know? And so, um, and I was always the person that just gave my vouchers to other people because I like, <laughs> like I don't want to just be completely trashed, like, you know? Um, and so I, I think I'm very blessed in that way because I did grow up around a lot of addiction and a lot of you know alcoholism and things and and it just it kind of made it so it didn't appeal to me um and you know as I got older I was just like oh my body just doesn't feel good and I just don't feel good and and so now I know like I like it it took me a long time but now it's like I'll just not drink and same thing like with dates because I've been dating oftentimes like oh would you like to go for a drink so I do go for a drink, but then I'm like, oh, oh, I'll just have, you know, like a mocktail or something. And they're like, oh, you're not drinking. I just like, oh, well, not tonight. You know, I would rather 
be consciously aware of, you know, what's going on. <laughs> if, you know, I need to make a decision if I want to continue dating you, like, you know, so I think it's, especially here in New York City, it's like everything is evolved around alcohol. Um, and yeah. I'm always like the weirdo, quote unquote, who's <laughs> like not drinking anything. Um, and so I, I think I think that, you know, making our own definition of what sobriety is, because I would never necessarily say to people, oh, yeah, like I'm sober, but I guess I really just have my own version of it, you know, because I do make decisions not to drink quite often. Um, yeah. Even when I go to punk yeah. shows, everyone's like, here, here's a drink. And I'm just like, oh, no, it's OK. I actually want to remember what songs the band was playing, you know, <laughs> like so. It's very interesting. And it's well, always and good it, to have someone. Oh, sorry, Caitlin. I just kind of like. It's okay. Was, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, it's always good to have, like, I don't drink for faith reasons, mm -hmm. but it mm -hmm. was something that I have decided, you know, that I didn't, it was something that, you know, I have actually tried it when I was in high school and it didn't appeal to me. And having made that decision and saying, I'm not going to drink, it, it comes in handy when, <laughs> maybe all your friends are kind of like, you know, not feeling good and no one can drive and you can actually drive people. <laughs> that happened at a mastermind where pretty much all the entrepreneurs had had alcohol and I was the only sober one. So it was like, okay, Yasmin can drive us. So it, it has its benefits, you know, and I think having that power, like I love what you said, having that power, that personal power, making that decision and defining what that is for you is nothing to be ashamed of because I know a lot of people I've seen friends at events where they feel kind of forced into drinking. They don't want to, like you can tell from their body language that they just don't want to drink, but because those trays are coming around and whenever I ask them, Hey, do you have sparkling cider or do you have, you know, a mocktail? Then those friends will be like, Oh yeah, me too. I would love that too. You know? And I think, it's, it's great to be able to um, really stand up for what you have defined is good for you and for your health. Yeah. And I love, so I love both of those examples that you gave. And I think that's the other thing that we always need these reminders. And again, it feels so strange to say this in the beginning. And I know for me, it was something that I actually had to learn was that like, I could choose. <laughs> I actually can choose when I want to drink and when I don't want to drink. And now granted, I am not somebody with a physical so I do want to make that distinction. Like I have addiction in my family. There are people in my family who genetically like, and their biochemistry is so that one drink does lead to a hundred and it's not a good choice wow. for them to ever drink alcohol. So I do want to make that distinction. Um, that being said that the number of people who have that sort of, and I'm happy if you're listening to this and you're more, you're curious about this and want to um, know more, definitely reach out. And we'll talk about that at the, um, how to do that at the end of the, the conversation. But, you know, there's actually a very smaller percent of the population of people who have a problematic relationship with alcohol. It's less than 10% where that is actually mm. something that would develop or, or already is a physical addiction to alcohol. So that's like, you know, 85 to 90% of the people who sometimes can struggle with alcohol in situations or because it's become a habitual, something they've learned, but there's not a physical dependence there. Um, and so, you know, I love that you brought up some of those examples because for example, for me, when I go to New York, 
New York is like a drug for me. I get like, I get high just being there. I'm overstimulated. I like, I literally like, I want to do everything. I have a lot of friends there. I used to go there a lot for, for work in my, in my former career as well. So it's like so overstimulating for me that I know when I go there, like I just don't even like, it's better for me just to make that decision. Like you said, Yasmin, like before I go, just to not like to make a decision and be like, I'm not going to drink when I'm in New York. And New York is amazing because there actually are so many incredible alternatives and there's like kombucha everywhere now. And like, you can get, you know what I mean? Like I get really excited because I get to try all these things that I'm not necessarily finding in my little town where I live in Southern Mexico. Um, whereas for example, when we were in Tulum camera, like for me, Tulum, such a relaxed vibe. I was like around like people that I feel very comfortable with. It, It was like, you know, it was, it was not, um, like what would I, what I would call like a, a trigger situation for me at all. And yeah. so, you know, I drank a little bit and, um, felt to, and like always was within what I know are my personal limits. But, you know, if somebody had seen me and not really understood, they'd be like, well, don't you, aren't that you the sobriety person? You know, <laughs> but I thought you don't drink. I saw you in New York with your, you know, your sparkling water and your, and lime, like, what are you doing here with, a glass of wine. I mean, I don't know if you don't drink like the margaritas or whatever at the place we were at, they were gross, but, um, you know, um, and, and so that's something that I'm always having in a way to explain to people too, is it's like you, again, you get to choose. And I love your awareness camera, going back to what you said about your birthday party, because a lot of people don't even think about that. And so I have something that I talk about, which is set setting dose. And the first thing to always do, and this, you know, anybody that's listening to this can, can, can use this. If you're looking at making some different choices around alcohol is like really the most important first thing to do is to check in about your mindset and your heart said, you know, where are you at um, on that particular day? Is this an emotional day for you for whatever reason? You know, like, are you, you're upset, you're going through a separation or something's hard, or you might be seeing somebody, you know, that, um, or you've just had a really busy week and you haven't had time for self-care and you've been running nonstop, you know, checking in with where you're at emotionally on any particular day, because our emotions do affect, uh, like our emotional state will <clears throat> excuse me, um, affect how, how, um, intoxication affects us. And so then you think about your setting also, okay, well, there's this, a uh, high stress setting. Is this somewhere where there's people that I want to impress? Do I feel insecure? Am I going to feel insecure? Is there an ex that's going to show up at this party or, you know, what are the dynamics? Is, is it a place like for me, like New York, like a setting like New York and a lot of places for me, that's just like, it's a, it's kind of, already a bit overwhelming for me. So these are the questions, the conversations, the questions that I will have with myself. And then based on that conversation, then I decide, is this a night that, you know, that I'll drink? Is it a night that I'll have a one drink limit, a two drink limit? What's my strategy around that? You know, I always recommend no matter what, just to, you know, this is like a fun challenge even for yourself is um, just hold off 30 minutes. You know, if you're listening to this and you're wondering where to start, just try that and just like, Mm use it as like a, a, a like you know an experiment of like okay instead of just doing what i normally do which is going to a restaurant opening the drinks menu and ordering a drink or going to the bar when i get to an event um wait 30 minutes order something else you, you know see what happens see how you feel after 30 minutes and if you still really want that drink or if you want to hold off for another 30 minutes or if you want to drink a mocktail first or something else first and 
you'd be amazed at like what you learn kind of about yourself and how you're really feeling um, in those first 30 minutes. And so use it as a fun experiment on yourself um, just to, just to, just to see what switching up that habit feels like. Yeah. And I think that it's, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I feel like I'm very blessed that I do have the self-awareness. Um, it's something that came to me kind of naturally. And I think it was just because of what I saw growing up and when I would go on tour and I'd see these people being completely trash and I was like, uh, that's just weird. I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to, you know, that's not something I want in my life. So what would you say to someone who is maybe not necessarily having the problems in like, you know, the social situations, but is kind of more every single night deciding to just, you know, drink wine. I mean, nowadays it's like all of the ads are just like, you know, moms drinking wine every single night, you know, they're so stressed because they're from their kids. I mean, I've seen an ad where a woman was like in the closet drinking wine, hiding from the kids, you know? So it seems like they're kind of like all the advertisements are just like shoving wine down mother's throats um, in a way like you should be drinking wine. This is how you unwind. And almost like drinking wine is the form of self-care. And so what is the distinction there when it comes to unwinding and, you know, necessarily like really needing or craving that substance because your kids were stressing you out that day? Like, where's that line at? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that it really, though, whatever the situation is, the question can be similar, which is what need am I fulfilling? Um, And so the answer will vary. And that also means that the strategy, that is the distinction, is that what you're going to use for yourself, if you're somebody, and I've been that person also, although a lot of my most, you know, the biggest problems were around binge drinking. But towards the end, I got to that place where I was drinking wine. And I get it because, or like every night to go to sleep. And I get it because then since becoming a mom, it like literally is the, the quote unquote easiest thing to do because you've got your kid here and you got this there and you're doing, trying to do dinner and you just like can be drinking your glass of wine. So it does feel like self-care because it's this treat that you get to have while you're taking care of everybody else. It's has the, um, you know, the physiological effects, you start to feel calmer, the nattering doesn't bother you quite as much. And so I mean, I get it 100% why it's such an easy, what feels like an easy solution. Um, But again, when you come back to the okay, well, what need is being met in this moment? Mm -hmm. Is it because I feel like overwhelmed with my responsibilities, and I just want to be able to check out for a little bit? Is it because I have been going nonstop all day? And now I have these little humans who are dependent on me, and they like feel like they're leeching the last of my energy. And that is like, heartbreaking to me because I love them and I'm also hating them right at this moment. Um, you know, and wine is making me not have to deal with that, um, emotional struggle, that internal struggle. Um, that it's not often talked about as, as you both know, as parents, like we don't talk about how hard it is sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's so isolating. And so when we really start, they're hard questions to ask ourselves. It's hard to ask yourself, what need am I really fulfilling with this glass or three or bottle of wine? Um, but when we can start to ask ourselves that question and then say, okay, so if I know what need I'm fulfilling, I'm starting to understand the why of why I'm doing this. Then I can start to look for what the alternatives are that are 
actually addressing though that deeper emotional need. So that's where like the surface level strategies, they're good in the moment. Okay, yeah, sure. So have something else in my fridge that's not wine so I can drink the alternative. But that's like a Band-Aid. You know, that helps, you know, certainly. But like it, it really is going to involve going that layer deeper. Okay, okay. So if I know that like my day is so busy and I'm not giving myself a break. And so by the time that my kids are back home with me and I'm trying to get dinner made, um, I'm feeling so frazzled. What do I need to do to set up my day differently so that I don't get to that place of feeling like I need wine in that way at the end of the day? How can I start to give myself permission to take breaks or take time just for me? Um, you know, I have one client who, is a financial earner in her family, um, has kids and stepkids, uh, just has always felt like the one who was the most responsible, had to keep everything together. The, the, you know, the financial security of the family depended on her. So for her, the most kind of like radical thing, and for somebody else, this might not sound that extreme, but for her, the most radical thing she could think of doing was to take Wednesday mornings off and to go to the beach and read a book, uh, read a fiction, like read fiction read a book that had nothing to do with spirituality or, or, you know, self-development or anything. And she would just go and read a book. And like, that was a really big deal for her to take that time out of her schedule and start to make that shift of like, I deserve this time for me in the middle of the week. It doesn't matter what else I think I should be doing, that I'm going to take this time for myself. And for her starting to do that meant that like, her, you know, drinking at the end of the day or her needing to kind of, she would also, she would drink every day after work, but she would also, you know, binge drink on the weekends and starting to like change her relationship to herself and how she was prioritizing herself really yeah. started to shift that the need that she felt like the, what alcohol was fulfilling. Mm. Um, and so again, it's not a one size fits all model. And this mm -hmm. is why it's so important to ask ourselves these questions because, you know, it, or people who drink because they feel lonely, you mm -hmm. know, because they're disappointed. Oh, I have clients who are just at a place in their life where they're just disappointed. And it's mm -hmm. this feeling of like not being fulfilled and having not like made certain choices that they're not okay with and, and mm -hmm. feeling kind of lonely and disappointed. Well, that is painful when you really realize, you mm -hmm. know, when you realize that and it's not easy work to then start to figure out how to reach out, how to make peace with yourself, how to forgive yourself, you know, how to start doing things differently so that you're not disappointed. Um, so it's not an overnight solution, but mm -hmm. that's the actual deeper work that is really involved in actually then being able to shift the relationship. And, and over wow. the long term. So I always say, you know, I'm like, we're changing our relationship to alcohol, but really we're changing our relationship to ourselves. That is so powerful. I love it. I love it. You've dropped so much wisdom here, Caitlin. This is beautiful. I'm sure the listeners are already like, you, where can we find her? Where do we connect with her? <laughs> you know, can you tell us a little bit about that? And of course your book, where can they have access to that? Yeah, for sure. So my book is available on Amazon and it's available in paperback and also Kindle. And it's uh, so just search drink less, be more on Amazon and it will come up and it ships around the world. And if you're interested in learning more about me and my work, you can find me at redefiningsobriety.com. 
and learn more about my story, about the group offerings that I have. I run uh, group immersions, which are eight-week programs, which run several times throughout the year. And it's like, like I said, such an incredible supportive community. Um, I really, I'm in love with my community and the mm-hmm. people that are there and the love that we share with each other. And just, it's one of the most kind of um, supportive and non, non-judgmental spaces that I know of. And it really just That's allows perfect. you to show up exactly as you are on every, any given day, whether you feel like proud of yourself or not, you know, that you know that you can, you can be real about, about where you're at. And um, of course, also you can reach out to me through my website as well. I love to connect. As I mentioned earlier, I think these conversations are so, so, so important and, you know, getting on the phone and connecting and having conversations like this lights me up. So feel free to reach out. I, I really mean that. The conversation for me is really important. It's not, you know, whether or not you think that coaching is for you or you, you know, you end up working with me. I, I honestly just feel so honored when I get to have these conversations, whether it be in a podcast like this or with somebody reaching out to me um, individually. So, um, and then you can find me on Instagram as well at Redefining Sobriety. Yeah. And I, I'm so grateful for people like you who have, you know, made something that is, you know, a a kind of like a a stigma where people don't even really want to talk about this as a problem. They don't want to talk about, okay, the drinking wine every single night might be problematic for, you know, some of these families or, you know, even like, you know, the, the guy coming home from work and just plopping on the couch and drinking a bunch of beers and checking out and really not even paying attention to what's going on around them. You know, yeah. um, it because it's become so normal. I mean, we see it on TV. We see it everywhere. It's an everywhere in media. And we think that it's just the norm. And it's it's okay to change our norm. You know, we don't have to have that be our norm anymore. So I'm so grateful for people like you that create communities that you do because it's so needed. And, you know, I think that, you know, today you've really given us some really great insight on just checking in with ourselves, you know, really understanding ourselves and understanding why we're doing the things that we do, this this really important self-awareness. And I feel, you know, most listeners here are entrepreneurs and, you know, I think I believe that a lot of them are, are going through this and it would be very helpful for them to start asking themselves some questions, you know, um, and, um, and, you know, getting on, getting on a journey to, to figure out why they're, why they're doing certain things. So, so grateful for you, Caitlin. Um, do you have anything, any uh, last questions, Yasmin? No, just want to say, Caitlin, this was such a joy to have you. Thank you so much for your time. And again, thank you so much for waking up so early to accommodate our crazy uh, schedule here. Such a pleasure meeting you. Yeah, no problem at all. And I just want to say again, you know, we said it at the beginning of the call, but thank you so much. Like I'm, I'm so, so, so profoundly grateful that you both are interested in having this conversation and the other conversations that you're having on this show, because so much of what we talk about around um, the struggles we might have with our mental health and anxiety and depression and stress you know, and how that affects us. It's all so interconnected, you know, yeah. to this conversation that we had today. So they're, they're definitely really overlapping. And I've, I've written articles specifically around, around anxiety and alcohol, because that's such a, 
it's so correlated. And again, it's something we've learned. Um, one thing just, I know we're, we're wrapping up, yeah. but Kimra, you just said something that I think is so important around, around shame and stigma. And, and I also just really want, if you're listening to this, um, the last thing in the world that I would want is for you to feel bad about choices that you've been making. And that is not the point. Sometimes that happens because we're so good at shaming ourselves. So you know, one yeah. of my, you know, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, I'm one of those people or I've done that, or I'm at a place, I'm, I'm not, I'm not okay with all of the choices that I've made this is not in any way at all to like make you feel worse about yourself it's to to invite the conversation that you can start to ask these questions and also know that you're just doing the best that you know how to do with what and that's been so important for me too because I've done a lot of things that I have felt a lot of shame around um, and my process of like self-forgiveness and really loving myself and forgiving myself is continual. It continues to this day. Last night, I was doing some work around that. And so just know that like this, the, the messaging and the culture that we live in is so powerful that, you know, you really, you're doing the best you know how to do with the tools that you have available and the awareness that you have at any given time. And so dwelling in that place or feeling bad about, about things you might have done or choices you might have made is going to keep you stuck there. And so the most important thing you could do if you're feeling some of those things come up for you right now is just use it as information of like, okay, this is maybe information that I, that I want to explore making some changes and then reach out and be in conversation around it. Awesome. Thank you again so much, Caitlin. This was such an amazing conversation. And, and I really hope that anybody listening to this, you know, who thinks that, you know, they, they might be struggling or they want to just really, you know, have a, a different type of relationship with alcohol or, or any other types of substances. Um, I really hope that from listening to this, they start diving a little bit deeper and asking themselves those, those, those really important questions about that relationship. So thank you again so much. Everybody, you know, listening, be sure to check out Caitlin, redefiningsobriety.com on Instagram, redefining sobriety. Be sure to reach out to her. To her. She's very supportive and very caring and would love to hear um, all your guys' stories as well. So thank you again so much, Caitlin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for lending us your ears. Please subscribe, rate, and leave a review so we know we're not talking to ourselves. If you love this episode and would like to dive deeper into healing your mind, body, and soul, make sure to check out bravevisibility.com forward slash circle to join our membership. Every month, we'll provide you with new trainings and resources on maintaining a healthy mind and most of all, a safe space to share and grow. Go to bravevisibility.com forward slash circle where you can have full access for $20 a month. Remember to use hashtag Brave Visibility when sharing this episode online. Follow us on social media at Brave Visibility and catch us on the next episode. Till then, live bravely.